Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We are here with the manager of brand strategy for BR Walkoff and also the co-host of Locked On Dodgers, Vince Simperio. So Vince, I wanted to start off, you have 217 hats and I wanted to ask you, when you wake up in the morning, how do you figure out which hat you're going to wear? Yeah, uh, it kind of depends. If there's an outfit for the day, then I can match it to an outfit. It's usually like outfits are built around the hat. So there's a hat I want to wear, then I'll build around that. Or if it's just like a regular work week, I usually wear a lot of black or a lot of dark colors. And then I just kind of pick one at random to kind of fit the day. <laughs> uh, I remember every time I start a new job, I usually tell them like if it's a hat thing and they kind of know, I'll tell them, all right, I'll go three months without wearing the same hat and then just kind of play <laughs> off that. So it's uh it's sometimes i forget that i have hats and then i'm looking I'm like, oh yeah there's one i didn't remember i had is there one that sticks out in your mind that's like one of your favorites uh there's a handful of them that are like our go-to's um you know this one the the trash pandas with the sombrero that one's pretty cool and then there's a few other ones that are like more custom or minor league ones but for the most part it just kind of depends how i'm feeling that day that makes sense because I, I I'm a big hat guy myself. You know, growing up playing baseball, loving the game, and always wearing a hat just sort of signified like made me feel like I was back on the field. And so for me, when I'm looking for hats, I'm very very picky about which hat I want to get. And especially if I'm going shopping for hats, my friends are like, "All right, just just buy one already," because I'm you know trying on five or six of them, looking at them, how I look in in the mirror and stuff like that. So do do you usually like the fitted? you know, snapback or are you picky like myself with picking out your hats? Yeah, I'm fitted only. Um, and I used to be more picky. Like if I do go into the store and you got to try, even if they're all seven and a half, you got to try them all on to see which one fits best. Cause they all kind of, they're all sewn differently. Um, and then I put a lot of trust into online shopping. So for the most part, it hasn't burned <laughs> me too much. Uh, there's just, you know, sometimes you grow out your hair a little bit and then you got to some hats don't fit, but then when you once you buzz it back down, then it, then it's all good. So, yeah, but I'm I'm a fitted hat only guy. So, that's awesome. So, um, one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because you have a very unique journey uh, within working in sports, specifically social media. And you know, I know that there's a lot of people who, whether they listen to my show or they're just an overall sports fan, that loves the Bleacher Report content. And from your time, you know getting into the sports industry, can you kind of go over a little bit of your path and where you got to where you are right now? Yeah, it's been a, a long journey now at this point. And it's, you know, been interesting, especially seeing a lot of younger people now, uh, whether I've interviewed them or if, you know, they ask for help or whatever the case is. And a lot of their resumes are a lot more stacked than mine were coming out of college. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's different, but you know, when I first started, this was almost 10 years ago. Now it was in social media was just kind of starting out. Most sports media companies either weren't there or if they were there, it's, you know, interns were running social media. There wasn't really strategy. There's just kind of, you know, learning the ropes. And I think I got in at a good time because, you know, I got in at the beginning and, you know, able to grow and kind of see everything as it's happened. So, yeah, I mean, in college, I was started out as graphic design major, actually, which ended up helping up helping down the road because you just have more things in your tool belt. So, you know, I was able to, I knew how to use Photoshop. I knew how to use some of these other, you know, Adobe stuff. And that helped out. I moved into journalism, thought about being a sports writer. And then, 
you know, kind of kept developing there and then got an internship uh, with the Lakers and Dodgers and Raiders website back in the day and uh, then kind of transitioned there into Dodgers and then started running social media for like a Dodgers based brand. And from there, you know, met a bunch of people, did a bunch of things, you know, got to cover the, the team, got to go, you know, be in the press box, media access, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, somebody I'd met as an when I started as an intern was at Bleacher Report. And he told me that they were looking to hire for social media. He recommended me. You know, I had an interview the next morning. I, you know, a couple phone interviews and a month later, I'm moving from L.A. to the Bay Area to work for Bleacher Report and social. And, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I had the Bleacher Report app, but I hadn't really, you know, and I followed them on social. But you know, like I said at the time. Social was a little bit different. And mm -hmm. when I got there, it was kind of a, a, a next step for obviously me professionally, but also for Bleacher Report. They had just kind of revamped their social strategy. They had developed it into two different teams. So they had like the social team, which was, you know, basically us with where I was at, where we were day to day coverage of NBA and every other sport and, you know, getting highlights, posting highlights, stuff like that. And they had the separate team, which was kind of creating the content that most people probably recognize now with the special, you know, the treated highlights or the graphics or, uh, you know, the the pop culture references and all that kind of stuff. So from there, it kind of took off. I was at Bleacher Report for two and a half years, you know, running mostly night shifts, NBA, MLB, you know, college football Saturdays, a lot of that stuff. Just, you know, thinking of captions, thinking of packaging, thinking of different ways to go about it. And, you know, it was fun. It was fun, even though I was working, you know, two to 10, my West Coast, time. at least being on the West Coast, you're not working late. Uh, I know right. a lot of the East Coast people got to work till like 1am for some of these, you know, sports events, but, you know, it was fun. And, you know, I was able to learn a lot and, and get a lot of experience. And I felt like there, there was just a lot of people there and there wasn't a lot of growth. So I ended up going to a startup in San Diego, which was more like player focused, similar to like a player tribune type of thing, trying to help players tell their stories and, you know, had some good times there. got to work with the uh, mostly NFL players there, got to travel to Indy, got to travel, you know, a couple places here and there, got to go to the San Diego zoo with Tyreek Hill, like super random. Cool. So yeah, it was a interesting time. Uh, but what I learned in that scenario was to ask a lot of questions when you're getting interviewed because it was a startup and, uh, they didn't end up lasting that long. And, you know, it only lasted, I think, less than a year. Uh, then I moved on, came back to L.A. My goal is always to come back to L.A., came back to L.A., got along with another startup running social media for a football football brand. And then that developed into football and then a baseball brand. And I was with Wave. I believe now they're called Wave Sports and Entertainment. They're the ones that run the, the New Heights podcast with Kelsey now with the Kelsey brothers. So. Mm -hmm. You know, that was fun. And and then, you know, pandemic happened, started working at home. And but when I left Bleach Report the first time I had told I left on good terms, I told them, you know, if you guys ever moved to L.A. or if you guys started a baseball brand, then, you know, feel free to hit me up. And yeah, uh, like early 2021, that's exactly what happened. They hit me up. They're starting a baseball brand, VR walk off. And, they, you know, they wanted me back and they wanted me to, you know, run it basically kind of from concept, almost from conception. I started a month after it actually launched. And ever since then, I've been working remote out of LA and uh, doing all baseball stuff and, you know, basically building a brand from the ground up and 
know, there's been a lot of good, a little bit of not so much bad, a lot of good, a lot of fun, been able to go to the World Series, been able to go to, you know, all-star games. And, you know, this year, World Baseball Classic, all-star game, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's basically where it came down to, you know, it's a, it's a longer story now, but uh, it's been a fun way around the whole, the whole time has been fun. And, uh, you know, it never really feels like you're working other than sometimes you're like, it's different now where before and I was working all sports, like you can't enjoy the Super Bowl as much when you're working it, mm-hmm. but now I can enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, and then when I'm working the world series, I'm at the game. So it's, right. you're still able to enjoy it. Cause it's a little bit different feeling. And with, with any journey, you never know the twists and turns that you're going to have. And I, I bet, you know, what, when you first left Bleacher Report, you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know that you were going to be all the way back there. But, you know, fr- from the time, you know, you brought up the the startup, then working for Wave.TV, and then, you know, obviously the, the pandemic hit. And prior to when, you know, BR asked you to come back, what were sort of, you know, the lessons reflecting on it that that you were able to take from that uncertain time? Yeah, I mean, that was one where luckily I was still able to work through the pandemic. It, you know, just kind of became a remote deal. But, you know, you did see a lot of people that didn't survive. And even now, you know, even to this day, there's still people that are still, you know, going through it, especially in sports media. But for me, it's always been, you know, realize where you're at, realize what you're doing, but also never, you know, never stop, never settle, you know, all the cliches that you can think of. But it it really does make sense because, you know, from the past, if I didn't have that initial, you know, graphic design thing, you know, being able to have even basic Photoshop skills, you know, that wouldn't have got me in the door in some places. And then, you know, when I was doing the Dodger stuff, you know, inter- handling actual players and media and personalities and all that kind of stuff, you know, dealing through that, uh, you know, interviewing people, being on camera, all that kind of stuff, you know, that added to everywhere I've gone. So, the, you know, the biggest thing is everywhere I've gone, I've picked up something you know, whatever it is to add kind of to, to make myself a little bit more invaluable to, you know, in case in the future, I need to go somewhere else or, mm-hmm. or something else comes up. So I think for me, it's always been that. And, and it's always like, you know, be grateful. I don't ever really, I, you know, it's a job. Yes. But for the most part, I've been lucky that it's a fun job to do. And then, you know, I'm, I'm never really like, oh man, like, <laughs> woe is me type of thing. You know, I can do the first world problems like, oh man, I got a flight, you know, I, I fly in, I've been out for three days. I got to fly in and literally fly out in five hours. But you know, that's, that's a first world problem. I'm not, yeah. you know, it's not a real complaint. It's just a, oh man, I'm, I'm kind of tired, but yeah, I think for the most part, it's always been, you know, networking and then meeting people, shaking hands, making sure people know who you are, you know, always, you know, making sure you're representing yourself when you can, when possible. And, I think it's all served me well because like the couple of times when I have been looking for work or or just in general looking for someone to help out with some kind of project or something like that, it's you know easy for me to go on my socials and put out a call and or put out, you know, some kind of question and, and get answers right away. So it's it's served me well to kind of, like I said, add to the tool belt anywhere you can and then just make sure you make yourself, you know, known and available and and you know represent yourself well. Yeah, I definitely echo that. That's one thing that I've been told by so many people is be as versatile as possible. And so, you know, I, I've done similar things that you've done. You know, I've written, been on camera, a little bit of graphic design, you know, some social media here or there. But I, I know for people, especially, you know, if they're in college right now and trying to figure out what that passion is and where they really want to be in the sports industry, how do you sort of figure out through trial and error that, you know, social media was your bread and butter and the place that you wanted to work in? Yeah, I mean, it, it just 
it sprung on me and then I realized right away that I was good at it. You know, it's, it's social media, especially if you're like in the live sports, social media world where, you know, kind of where I started out as, you know, live tweeting Dodger games and then at BR, you know, watching events and reacting to them. It, it's all about the reaction and kind of what we had it down as is like, everyone has a group chat. If you're into sports, everyone has a group chat with friends where you're like, Either you guys, if you guys aren't watching together somewhere, then you guys are all watching it somewhere, you know, differently, but reacting to each other on, on you know, on text or whatever it is. And that's kind of what we related it to. Like, yo, how would you react to this if you saw it with your friends? Or how would you react to this if you were at the bar? You know, that kind of stuff. And and that kind of really resonated with me. And it, you know, when I first started, I wanted to be a sports writer. And then I quickly realized, like, that probably wouldn't have suited me after a while, you know, would have got old after a while. But the thing mm -hmm. with social media is that it's always changing, always evolving. Right. You know, there was back then it was mostly Twitter and Facebook and then, then Facebook kind of went obsolete in terms of sports media companies, or at least where I was at. Then it was Instagram. Now, you know, now TikTok's the big one and, you know, they're always constantly growing and evolving and figuring things out. And I think it's the challenge for me. It's always been the challenge. I can, I don't like being stagnant. I don't like, you know, being in one place or, or for too long. So the challenge of social media is where it really got me where, why isn't this working? This should work. Let me figure out why, or how can we package this so it would work differently? Or, you know, okay, we did this. Now every other company is doing this. Okay. Now let's move on to the next thing, figure out what we can do next, you know, to be ahead of the curve. So it, it, I think that's what really got me was the challenge of social media. And it still gets me. I mean, I still don't understand right. TikTok to, and I don't <laughs> think anyone does, but you know, I'm still going to keep at, keep trying it and keep figuring it out and, and you know, figure out how to how to beat the system, even though you're never really going to beat the algorithm. But, you know, you yeah. can try. And it seems like with TikTok, it's it's literally changing every single second of every single day. So it's it's never easy to fully, fully figure out how to how to work it or utilize it. But, uh, you know, one thing that I was curious, you know, the the whole um thought process that you went through for this specific uh, situation was we met at the winter meetings. And one of the biggest storylines out of the winter meetings was the arson judge going to the San Francisco Giants, the the John Heyman typo that everybody was talking about for, you know, the, the week and majority of the offseason when it happened. And for you being at the winter meetings, when you first saw that, I don't want to give away, obviously, your secret sauce of how you come up with these different things. But, you know, take me sort of through once you saw that initial tweet, what what did you end up doing to ultimately put something out to get people's attention about that sort of typo? Yeah, so, well, I was at lunch when it first dropped. And I was like, ah, like, dang, like, I had just seen John Heyman earlier in the day. And then, you know, obviously, he's not going to tell you, but you know, I, I was at lunch. I'm like, oh man. So then, I, you know, I'm on my phone, figuring things out, working with, you know, luckily for me at the time, I, I have somebody, you know, I'm manager, so I have somebody under me. So we're working together, kind of figure out, okay, get out the initial news, um, you know, and then the backtrack. So then you got to do the backtrack. But after the backtrack, then it's like, okay, how can we react to this on social? How can we, you know, keep this moment going? Because obviously it's a moment, you know, Arson Judge was trending pretty quickly after that. Mm -hmm. You know, John Heyman's getting flamed. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to go directly at, you know, somebody in the in the industry. Um, but, you you know, you want to be part of the situation, you want to be part of the moment. And that's kind of what we figured out. And, you know, this we it, social media is a lot of, you know, borrowing, cheating, however you want to say it. But, you know, you're, it's not always original. And there was a photo that was made up really quick of, of you know, judge with the fire, the house in the fire in the background. And yeah. the, from that one meme and, you know, we found it, we threw it up and. We just kept kind of 
figuring out ways to react to it and package it. And, you know, that kind of became a thing for a while, Arson Judge. And, and it's, you know, it's still a thing to this day, a lot of commenters and stuff like that. So in the moment, it was hard. It was different because, you know, on our end, we were prepared for Judge to sign with a handful of teams. You know, we have jersey swaps ready. We're prepared to go. Basically just filling in the contract language of, and then, you know, putting it out there. So that's what we did. And then, you know, we had to retract it. And then you get part of the moment with Darson Judge. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we keep this going? And, you know, it's 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 a challenge, but we we got it going. You know, we figured out a bunch of things. Um, you know, we've made Arson Judge into a thing without, you know, personally attacking anybody, you know, mm -hmm. Heyman. I still talked to Heyman later that day. And, you know, he he was he was a good sport about it. Uh, you know, he he told he told us that he had people that told him one thing. And then when he put it out there, he had a bunch of people telling him that wasn't it. So, you know, every everyone has an issue like that. But I think with moments like that, it's always about being prepared and then being prepared to react. So you can have jersey swaps ready. You can have, you know, graphics ready for a World Series or whatever the case is. And that's good. But you also have to be ready to react to things that you're not expecting or things that you're not, you know, really used to. And, you know, during the World Series, we saw those, you know, I was just at the game and hanging out. And then I, you know, you see those guys on the roof. It ended up being the workers there, but it looks like fans had gotten on the roof and watching <laughs> the game. And you're like, okay, how can we react to this? So, right. you know, we get a video, we put it out there and sometimes you just let the people do the work and you just put it out there and, you know, keep it simple. I'm, I'm very big on social of keeping things simple, keeping captions simple, and then letting people, you know, bring in their own humor, bring in their own thoughts, bring in their own takes and obviously that's when the engagement comes in. So, yeah, it's it's being prepared, but also, you know, getting ready to react. And that's kind of where you win is if you're able to react faster than everybody else. That makes sense, because I, I remember during that day, uh, I, I saw that's that's the post that I was thinking of is the, is the little girl with, with the house blown yeah. up in the background and with the Aaron Judge sort of face on it and uh I, I thought about you i'm like how did they get that up so quickly but that's the one thing that i'm always curious about especially with breaking news and it's and it's interesting to hear that you guys obviously already have the jersey swaps already figured out ahead of time but is there any post that like comes to mind where you know breaking news happened and you had to get something out last minute and you were sort of like scrambling trying to at least react to it in the moment yeah i mean well even though he stayed with this oh no well we didn't have the swap actually when Carlos Correa like didn't sign with the Giants and then decided to sign with the Mets, that was around 10 or 11 p.m. West Coast time. So that means, you know, most of the people on the East Coast are asleep. I'm technically, you know, not working, even though I'm always kind of working. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're not prepared for that. We didn't have a jersey swap ready. We actually had one in the works, but it wasn't ready yet. So, you know, you go with the news right away. You try to think of the different storylines, you know. So in that moment, you, you saw that, okay, you know, the, the big story was, yes, Correa, but the other story was, okay, Cohen spending a lot of money. So, you know, trying to think of, okay, what did the Mets do this offseason? How much money are they really going to spend? You know, they're supposedly their their luxury tax bill and payroll was going to be around 500 mil. So you're like, okay, you got to think of something with money. So then, you know, I thought of that video of, of – the old video of Kenta Brunson back in the day where she's at the movie theaters with the guy and she's like, Oh, he's ordering all this stuff at the movie theaters. And she's like, Oh, you got money. So then for me, I was like, okay, look, boom, we signed Verlander. Boom. We signed this. So everything he orders is like Cohen signing somebody. And then at the end it's Correa. And then it's like, Oh, you got money. So like that was the reaction right off the bat there. And we put it up there and it did really well on, you know, on a lot of different social platforms. And 
that was something we weren't ready for in the sense of him going to the Mets. We had it in the works, uh, but I didn't know how, that's how we were going to react. And it just kind of came in the moment. And, you know, it's one of those where growing up watching a lot of different shows or uh, actually I, the biggest credit I give is uh, like VH1 had these shows like I love the 90s. I love the 80s. And there would be a lot of pop culture. like basically they go through every year and the biggest pop culture phenomenons of that year. I used to watch those shows a lot growing up. So like if there was something I remembered from there or it was like, oh, I want to watch that movie because of that. So like the references, being online, being in social media, like you just have to have it off, the, you know, either have it ready or have at least an idea of, OK, this is what I want. Let me find the video. Let me package it. Let me put it together. And yeah, it's it's something that you can't really teach. It's just a matter of I happen to watch a lot of stuff growing up in a lot of variety and Luckily for me, it's worked out in the sense that I get to use it on social media. That, that's always the nice thing about, you know, being able to have all these different avenues or all these different outlets to, to watch. And it's, it's crazy how those memories come up out of nowhere. There's sometimes where whether I'm taking a shower on a long drive or something like that, I'll think of an idea and my immediate, you know, thing that I want to do is go and work on it and go and make it and make it happen and everything like that. So it's interesting that that's sort of how it played out specifically for the Korea thing, because when I woke up and saw that, I couldn't believe it. But uh, that's the one thing that I think going into this season, I'm most excited about is seeing all these new faces, you know, in all these new teams. Obviously, Correa went back to the Twins, but, you know, Verlander with the Mets, uh, you know, all these different storylines going into the season with opening day creeping up even closer by the day. Uh, I was curious, looking at uh, some different teams, who is the most underrated team in your mind? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's hard because you in the NL, it's going to be interesting because at the way it seems right now, all the same teams are going to make the playoffs. Like you have the three teams in the East that all got better. You have the Padres who got better, the Dodgers who maybe lost a little bit, but, you know, losing a little bit off a 111 win team is still a 90, 95 win team, which should get you in the playoffs. The Central's kind of a dud, you know, the Cardinals and Brewers and you know, the Cubs might be that team. They, you know, they they picked up a lot of guys, they're hoping for a lot of bounce backs. They could be a team that surprises, but I think it's kind of the same team that it was last year in, in the Guardians, where they got the pitching, you know, they got the young guys that you know they really couldn't hit last year, but they have a lot of young guys that can come up. They got, you know, uh Bo Naylor's brother, they got a you know, different guys coming up. They got, you know, progressions of younger players. You know, Stephen Kwan has another year under his belt. All these guys have another year under his belt. Jose Ramirez is still that guy. So I think, you know, it's hard. They're like kind of the one team that's there that's supposed to be good, but you're not really sure. But I think that they're the ones, once they got to the postseason, they're the ones, you know, you'd be scared of because you don't know what to expect from them. And it's, you know, it's kind of weird with baseball this year. There's not usually there's not really, Oh my God, there's one team that's going to win. Uh, and especially in baseball, we haven't had a you know repeat winner in forever, but you kind of know who's going to make the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if there's any team like that. That's like going to be surprising in the sense like, Oh, I didn't think they'd make the playoffs, but I think the guardians are going to be one of those teams that are surprising at the end of it, where it's like, Oh, they, they did better than we thought or, or they're somehow in the world series. <laughs> It always seems, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I try and make these predictions or try and guess on what's going to happen in, in the major league season, never ends up happening like that. And majority of the time, if you put out like 
you know, record predictions or, you know, way too early playoff predictions. Majority of the time, there, there's a team that comes out of nowhere and you're like, I didn't expect that whatsoever. So for me, it was it was the Diamondbacks. I feel like they're a team that has so much young talent. I'm curious to see how it all is able to come together and finally flourish uh, since they've been a little bit in the, in the dumpster for the last few years, just trying to rebuild. Uh, and then obviously I said the Sox too, just Sox fan had, had to go with, had to go with the favorite team. And then, uh, you know, looking as well into some teams that you're most excited to watch. For me, I was thinking the Rangers or the Cubs with all the things that they did this offseason. But I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, the Rangers, actually, that that is a good one. That You know, the AL West got better in general. Maybe the Astros are the only team that maybe took half a step back losing Verlander. But even then, you know, Framber and all those guys are are ready to kind of step in and be those those people you know the Mariners are always fun with Julio and all the young guys and you know they got Castillo for a full season now you know the Angels added major league talent at least you know who knows how they'll be but you know when you got Otani and Trout and if some of those guys can stay healthy but yeah the Rangers if they stay healthy that rotation is really net like DeGrom, Eovaldi, Perez, you know John Gray all those guys are that's a solid rotation. They added, you know, Heaney, who could be good, could be not, who knows. But and then you combine that with what they got offensively. And the big thing that's probably going to be a differentiator is that for some of these teams like the Sox, like the Rangers, like the Diamondbacks, they're in tough divisions, but they don't play their division as often as they would have in the past. You know, now with the new schedule, you know, they're five less games against the Yankees for the Sox, you know, five less games against, you know, the Dodgers for the Diamondbacks, five less games against the Astros for the Rangers. And, you know, unfortunately, the NL Central is where NL and AL Central are kind of where you can beat up on some teams and, you know, you're going to have more games against those guys. So I think that's going to help out and it's going to make it interesting. But yeah, I think the Rangers are Rangers and Cubs will be and fun to watch and Red Sox is because it's like the, the Rangers added talent, you know, but you're hoping they stay healthy. And then the Cubs and Red Sox are kind of the same in the sense that they, added a bunch of guys that you know you don't know if it's going to be good or not it could be really good it could be really bad or it could be kind of in the middle so you're kind of wondering what's going to happen there and for it to be the Cubs and Red Sox where you know two of the more iconic franchises in, in MLB uh you know they'll have more eyes on them than normal as, as well and you brought the schedule change and there's a lot of the different changes going into this season obviously the pitch clock the no shifts the bigger bases uh, I'm curious how you think that these rules might influence some of the different games throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, one thing I learned MLB is pushing for pitch timer instead of pitch clock. Uh, hmm. Trying to stick with the fact that, you know, baseball is not run by clocks type of thing. You know, you can't <laughs> run out the clock, which is what was interesting to me when I heard that. But yeah, uh, it's for sure in the beginning of the season, it's going to cause issues. I know, you know, even just for the fact of guys trying to figure out, okay, what the pitch timer is. And, you know, it's a matter of, are they going to take the penalty or are they going to try to rush their, their motion or rush their pitch in order to get the pitch off? And if that's the case, there's a lot more room for mistakes, mm -hmm. which mistakes are, you know, can usually become home runs. So I think that one's at least initially is going to be really interesting. And then we'll probably around month two or three, we're not even going to think about it anymore. And then once the playoff comes back, that's when it's going to be big again, because, you know, the playoffs slow down so much. There's so much, you know, adrenaline and stress and everything else going on with these guys. So I think it's one of those that initially, you know, there might be a few games that are maybe affected by it early on. 
rest of the season will be normal and then playoffs that'll kind of come back and rear its head what i am interested to see is you know the shift ban it's going to add a few singles here and there for guys lefties mainly that you know where manny machado is playing rover in the outfield he's not able to do that anymore but you can still pretty much shift guys around obviously you can't have three people on one side but you can have you know two and then one guy literally in the middle so that one i don't know if it'll change too much but yeah there will be more hits and by that nature, it'll affect some games just based on the fact of a guy hits an RBI single that maybe was an RBI single in the past. But the one I am interested in is is the pitch, you know, not being able to pick off plus the bigger bases. Will teams utilize that to try to, you know, run, steal more bases? Because obviously teams have gone away from it, but it's fun to watch. You know, stealing bases is fun. We, we remember the Royals from, you know, 2015, 2014. That was kind of one of their calling cards is they – they didn't have much power, but they had a lot of speed and they were able to utilize it. And I think that's the bringing the fun element back. If you get more singles because of the shift, you get more guys trying to steal bases at the very least, um, you know, more people in scoring position, stuff like that. I think that's where we're going to see the most change and the most thought if teams actually try and utilize it. If not, if they're still going to stick with the fact of, oh, stealing bases isn't benefit, you know, doesn't go to our advantage, then it won't change much. But yeah, I think that for the first time in a while, we might see multiple guys with like 30, 40, 50 stolen bases where we haven't really seen that in the last few years. I hope so. And I'm also curious to see how the bases look like on TV. Kike Hernandez said that it's going to be very not appealing for, for regular fans at home. He said that they look like pizza boxes. So yeah. curious to see how, how that ends up looking and how, you know, it, it correlates to maybe more stolen bases, you know, maybe less injuries, stuff like that. Uh, but another thing that was sort of unusual throughout this offseason was the Dodgers didn't spend any money, really nothing. And trade lost Trey Turner, but obviously sort of like you mentioned, for a team that won 111 games, probably with, with sort of how their team is constructed with not only all the young talent, but also the proven major league talent that they already have on the roster. I'm curious sort of your assessment or mindset going into the season of how you think that the Dodgers will ultimately play. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. You know, like I said, from 111 games, even if you're 15 games worse, you're still a 95 win, you know, 95, 96 win team. So it's not that bad. And at the start of the offseason to now, you know, you talk yourself into a few things. But I think where it's at is like basically what it could come down to is offense. I, I think I trust the pitching pretty much. You know, you got Julio, you got Kershaw. You got even if Gonsolin isn't what he was last year, even if he's only 70 percent of that, that's still, you know, a solid number three, four five starter. You know, Dustin May coming back one more year away from Tommy John surgery. He's who I'm ex I'm excited about May and, and Syndergaard because those are two guys. You know, May's already throwing up or, you know, close to 100 around the time already. Syndergaard didn't have that last year, but supposedly his his velocity is uptaking. I've always liked Syndergaard. So, if, you know, getting him with what he already had, if he can boost up the velocity a little bit and then working with the Dodgers, who for some reason have figured out how to help pitchers, then I'm excited about that. It, it's really the offense what it comes down to. And, yeah, it's hard to complain about an offense that still has Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman at the top of the order. But, you know, it's there. I think the biggest thing with the Dodgers is – for the most is you could have multiple injuries. You know, they lost Corey Seager one year and they still, what they do, they picked up Manny Machado and they went on and, you know, and they've lost other guys for multiple time for big stretches of the year and been able to handle that this year. They might not have that, you know, they don't have the depth. At, well, they don't have the known depth. 
you know, Gavin Lux is your shortstop. You don't know what you're going to get at him necessarily. He had a pretty good year last year before he got hurt. Um, and off, defensively, he's had some throwing miscues in the past. You know, who knows if that rears its head. You're putting a lot of stock in Miguel Vargas, a young guy who is supposed to hit. He's one of the top prospects, but, you know, prospects don't always pan out. You're putting a lot of, you know, faith in Chris Taylor, figuring it out, you know, struck out like 35% of the time last year. But now can he cut that back down to his normal 28% of the time? Like, I don't know. You're stuck in change, which, you know, happened times over the past couple of years but if if that works out then it helps out you're putting stock there which is kind of the big thing and then the Padres did get better you know the Padres are, are their rotations maybe not quite as strong but it's strong at the top and then their their lineup is pretty deep and very strong at the top so I think with the Dodgers it's interesting for me at least as a fan where I'm kind of more excited about this season every year you know okay Dodgers are going to make playoffs Dodgers are going to win the division you know they got surprised by the Giants in 2021 but even then they won 106 games like it wasn't the bad season for them so I think I'm excited to see you know not knowing exactly what's going to happen going into the season and kind of having a little bit of element of surprise knowing that you're still going to be good but you don't know how good Right. And, and Vargas is a guy that I'm excited to see how he ultimately plays out. But it seems like the Dodgers, sort of like the Rays, and it comes, you know, when Andrew Friedman goes over from the Rays to the Dodgers, they can never go wrong. It seems like they, they anytime there's question marks, it always, majority of the time, goes in their favor. But, you know, as you mentioned, the one thing that they need to do, which as a fan, I bet this infuriates you year in and year out, they can win 111 games, they can win over 100 games, but it's just getting that ultimate prize of getting that World Series trophy. But uh, r- really appreciate you taking the the time Vince uh and telling us a little bit about your journey as well and some of the lessons and also giving some insight on some of the biggest storylines going into the MLB season but for anybody that wants to follow your journey and also support you in any way whether it's for your personal Instagram or just be our walk off let the people know where they can find you yeah so we'll, we'll run through real quick we'll go personal my Twitter and Instagram are different but uh Twitter is at Vince Samperio Instagram's at Vince since 91 for BR Walk Off, you can go BR Walk Off anywhere, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and then Locked On Dodgers. You can go Locked On Dodgers, Twitter, and Instagram. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of places to find me, so I'll be out there. Awesome. Everybody go and check him out. Not only does he do great stuff for BR Walk Off, but also Locked On Dodgers is a great way for you to stay in tune with everything that's going on with the team. But really appreciate you taking the time, Vince. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.